the choice to spread love in a world full of pain. The generation willing to be a light in darkness. The selfless desire to serve humanity. The purpose fueled with passion to make a difference. This is Madcasters, the ultimate guide you need to impact the world. going on everyone this is your host brian st louis and i'm here to connect you to impact leaders across the globe who strive to make a difference in their communities and the world as you listen to these gripping stories and endeavors from inspirational people and organizations you will gain the confidence to implement strategies to make a difference not only in your personal life but to impact humanity around you Please subscribe to Madcasters on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Instagram. Support through Patreon. Together, let's make a difference and change the world. going on everyone it's your host brian st louis and we have our special guest today her name is debbie osborne i think we're gonna have a really good episode coming out for you all today debbie thank you so much for coming on to madcast's podcast thank you for the opportunity i'm really looking forward to it absolutely absolutely why don't we get into this and just um let's let's learn a little bit more about who you are debbie and and what you have brought into this world and what you're doing to look to impact the world well, m- most of my work, it, it's on two levels. One is I work with a lot of youth serving organizations that work with at-risk kids. But then I got into the trenches myself over the years. I started out as a social worker um, when I graduated from college and burned out. I, I got tired of dipping out the ocean with a teaspoon. And so I retreated to law school and became a lawyer. But um used my experience to, uh, for for a while, I was a federal prosecutor, prosecuting crimes against children, and then moved back into civil practice and work with organizations to help them um, prevent child abuse and, and serve the kids in their care. And then on the personal level, I took my social work skills and my passion for working with kids and Worked as a um, single foster parent for a while, and then um, when I uh, came back home to Georgia, I met and married a man with five children. So um, I I joke, I've never had biological children, but through foster care and step-parenting, I have collected seven children and ten grandchildren. Wow. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. It's a collection that, you know, keeps me young or will kill me young. I haven't figured out which. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's good. I I love the fact that you've worked in the youth sector and um, you have devoted most of your life actually towards that as well. Even as a federal, as a, as a prosecutor, you were prosecuting um, those against children or against um, criminal 
uh, activities towards youth. Um, I'm a huge youth advocate myself. Uh, I worked in the in the juvenile detention facility, and okay. I also worked at, at a at a school for at risk youth too. So you and I are kind of up in the in the same alley as well. Or I like to say youth that are misunderstood, because yeah. a lot of times they just they've gone through so much and and they portray it a certain way. Uh, but you know, we see like, like, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, but we see the iceberg, right. We only see the tip of the iceberg, but not all of the residual is, issues that have caused the actions that we're seeing. So really love the fact that you're doing that. I think we need a lot more people who are willing to help in that youth sector as well. So it's, it's a tough haul sometimes, um, yeah. that, that, that iceberg, I, I liken it to, um, well, I just explained my, my kids have found themselves a, a, at a disadvantage and at, at the bottom of a deep well. Mm. And um, especially children who've suffered severe trauma, all of their instincts are to just keep digging that well deeper. They really don't yeah. know how to get out. And sometimes they just ignore all of the ropes mm. that we throw down to them to try to pull them out. And it's um, it's a combination of trauma and just human nature. Yeah. And, and you know what, though, with that being said, uh, sometimes we throw down a rope and they don't want to uh, pick it up. But sometimes I feel as though um, as adults, sometimes we, we throw that we pull the rope back up too fast as well. Right. And or it's too short and we blame too- them for not jumping high enough. Wow. That's any- real. That's real. <laughs> It's real because at the end of the day, it's like at the, we we need to be willing to to come down to their level and 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 even with that analogy, right? We we pull down the rope and we are able to walk go down to them and then help them up, you know. Especially okay. with those who are in our communities, those who we have a heart for. I, I just think it, it takes a lot more in, in, initiative. For us to do that so just really really commend you for 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 the work that you've been doing that you that you currently continue to do as well and so why don't you talk to us a little bit more about what you're doing in that regard right now um regarding to to foster parenting to impacting youth and society well most recently i i wrote a book called raising other people's children which talks that. about yeah that it, it talks about the principles that I learned that my kids taught me, and um, I wrote it because I have a lot of friends and I, I see a lot of people who were finding themselves raising other people's children either through getting into foster parenting or they fall in love with with someone and and have to make a blended family work somehow, and it, it's very difficult. Um, I, I like to say that that love alone is not enough, that commitment is stronger than love. And, um, and also, we're starting from a disadvantage from the kid's perspective, because in both foster care and um, step parenting, from the child's perspective, we're not the people who are supposed to be there. If, if the world worked the way it should, they would have an intact biological family that's and right. they wouldn't even know us. And so we we have to acknowledge that loss. So I'm doing a lot of um, speaking and writing and training along that um, line, uh, just explaining to people, we have to understand where the kids are coming from. 
we have to give them structure, but we have to give them time to accept us. We have to give them time to get used to it. And we have to convince them that we care and that we're not going to disappear from their lives like other adults have. And the only way to convince them of that is to do it. And, you know, it, it, it takes a while for them to believe us and trust us. Just a lot of those sort of principles that I'm just trying to do a lot of training, get the word out there um, for people who are, are thinking about going into foster care or are trying to decide about um, whether or not they can do a, this blended family. You know, it's very easy to fall in love with the adult and then find yourself not really liking their kids and and definitely not liking the ex and um, all of those problems that come with with either blended families or or um, working with foster kids. So there's a lot to consider. It's not just the the love factor, as you say. And sometimes I don't think we all necessarily think about that, right? If you're right. going into a situation, because nowadays um, there there's more likely enough that you could jump into a relationship the older you get, right? Right. Um, that you're gonna have somebody else's kid that's a part of of the situation and so it's not just you and the individual right you and and your spouse or your or your partner Um, but someone else is going to be in that picture and i i think sometimes too often we um we may not necessarily think of that and so i love that your book is is digging deep into that and helping us to to see that viewpoint as well what are some of the principles um especially for those who who may want to read your book uh don't don't say everything because we want them to read it but (laughs) at the end of the day what are some like what are one or two major principles that that are shown in the book to entice our our readers who or our listeners now to get into the reading of this well, the the first one is is um, the most important principle is understanding that that we're not the people who are supposed to be there, and we are making commitment to to be that person who that's is pretty not huge. supposed to be there. It it is. Yeah, it that's is. pretty huge. We we like to think that we can be a complete substitute and and fill that void in a child's life, and we can't. We just we're not the people who are supposed to be there. We never will be. And that's okay. We we can still have a good relationship. You know, being a child's plan B parent can be pretty wonderful. And we just have to um, accept our role and and be grateful for the fact that 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 we're in that child's life. Um, I, I used to tell my my foster kids, um, the teenagers. I, this is a too complex a, a concept for younger kids, but I used to tell the teenagers that you know, your parents do not know what they've missed out on by not knowing you and not having you in their lives. And even the teenagers didn't really understand it until they had kids. And then they started understanding the joy that that kids can bring to your life. Um, And then the other um, principle is that that you know we're making we have to be willing to make a one way commitment um, with with stepkids. A common complaint I hear from from my friends and from other step parents is nobody ever pays attention to me on Mother's Day. Everyone mm. overlooks my birthday, and um, you know they're kids. 
And even biological kids um, go through a stage where they're self-absorbed and the world revolves around them. And that's true. They don't, they don't think about presents or carts or anything. And we have to be willing to be the adults and um, be there and, and care for those kids um, no matter how much they treat, how, how badly they treat us. Now, there is a difference between unlimited love and unlimited commitments. You know, no, no healthy commitment is, is ever unlimited. Um, I joke, my husband and I promise to, to love each other, till, to, to stay together and love each other till death do us part. But if one of us becomes abusive or starts running drugs for the mafia, then, you know, our, our marriage is over. We, we both yeah. know that. So healthy commitments have boundaries. We have to protect our commitments with our kids and, and set boundaries for them. And, uh, you know, I've, I've parented runaways who, who reject me and leave. And I had to learn to say, um, no, I'm not giving you any more money. But whenever you want to come back with these conditions, I, I'm here for you. And the family is here for you. And these are the boundaries. And I will always love you. And I hope that one day I can have the resources to help you again um, or that one day you will accept the resources that I have to, available to help you. And that's tough. Those are really, really tough concepts to understand and, and work through. Um, so I think that's important. The other thing that, that I um, constantly harp on is that, you know, we're in a society where victimhood has value. And it's it's almost a currency. And so when when something has value and has currency, then everyone wants to to um, hoard it and get more of it. And so I, I have seen my um, foster kids um, develop a tendency to, as one of them said, um, I'm just counting up my victim points and um, use that as an excuse to to avoid unpleasant homework or chores or tasks. Now, sometimes kids with trauma have to have accommodations, but but on the other hand, our our kids are much, much more than the sum of their trauma. And if we let them remain in victim status and don't help them learn how to move beyond that, then we're just leaving them in a place of despair. And we're leaving them at the bottom of the well and saying, okay, you good. You've got lots of victim points, but they're still at the bottom of the well. And so I just believe very strongly in, in helping kids overcome it, you know, acknowledging their pain and the problems that they have had, but helping them move forward and and not letting them think of themselves as being um, only the, the the accumulation of a lot of trauma. That's heavy. Like a lot of what you just said right there had my mind moving. Uh, it's just it's, it's very heavy because one of the things for sure that we need to understand um, and, I, and I'm talking more so to our listeners here because I know you understand this concept, though, is the fact that children are youth. We're talking about impact in the world. I think one of the greatest 
people to actually put our efforts into is our youth and our and our children because they're going to be the ones continuing moving this world forward, right? Right. Uh, and so, but when you when you said uh, sometimes we use our victimhood or our trauma as a as a form of currency, that mm-hmm. that hit me in a different way because I started thinking as well as for all the people who have. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily a bad thing at all, but um, there are many people who have gone through traumatic experiences and, you know, they've been able to write um, books through it or they, they'll become motivational speakers or uh, or, you know, they'll they'll change or use that for certain things. But then you also have individuals who are using that trauma, like you said, as well to say, uh, you know, I'm building up my victim points so that I don't necessarily have to do certain things. Um, I can continue to use this card to say that I've been through this and this is the reason why I am this person or I there's a reason why I I can um, act a certain way to you. You just have to take it or whatever the case may be. There's so many different um, right. ideologies that we can take from that aspect of 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 dealing with trauma or being a victim, but then how do we necessarily deal with the trauma that we've, that we've experienced and to overcome and to grow from those experiences? Cause like you said, it's not to say that they, they, they've never happened, but it's exactly. how do we move forward from that point? Uh, because I mean, it's sad to say bad things happen to people all the time and, and some things happen worse to others. And right. so that's why sometimes you need to put more time and effort with certain people, but then it doesn't mean that they have to stay at the bottom of the well. I, like I just, there was just a lot that went through my mind as you were saying that. And I think it just really had my, um, my, my gears running. So. Yeah. Uh, it's very countercultural in, in this moment to say, I, yeah. uh, yes, being a victim is terrible, but. Um, you know, just the acknowledgement and then the empowerment. And I think in our current yeah. culture, we are just missing the empowerment. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and so like, for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll give this example. I was watching a video um, a couple of days ago and somebody mentioned the fact that, um, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into, into anything um, into this type of episode right now, but right. Um, they were talking about how, like, in the black community, uh, too many of them are, are victims and and they have this victim mindset with and and, and it keeps them down. But I, I countered that because um, a lot of black people in our in our society, it's not to say that we want to just look at what's happening and say, oh, you know, it's that this is the reason why I'm choosing to stay down. No, it, it's more so the fact that we say these are the systems that are, are at play and that are that are holding a, a certain systemic way of, of, of thinking and, and holding a group of people back just by the color of our skin. But we're still willing to be in, to, to empower ourselves and to move forward, uh, just knowing that there are still systems at play. And so I, I think there's a difference in mindset with with how we say that there's something in front of you that is that is not necessarily for you um, and but you're still willing to move forward right compared to um this is this is what is in front of me this is what has happened to me 
and this is why I'm staying in my pit. I think those are two different um, situations. Hey. And yeah, they are. They are very much. I, I have parented children of color and I have watched the the, the hurts that they have mm. in a couple of cases. Um, I, I've also seen um, children who were were um, not minority children, but they were poor and the yeah. system just was willing to chew them up. And, yeah. and um, you know, my job was was to take care of of both the minority children and the non-minority and, yeah. and keep the system from doing that. And I, I, I have seen kids, particularly foster kids um, who have just, they've been moved from place to place. Sometimes they were, it was just a bad match. Sometimes they, they just um, have gotten experts at uh, punching buttons and getting themselves moved. Mm. And um all of those things are true. And I, I understand that, again, we have to acknowledge this. Yeah. And I, I'm not I'm not willing to say that um, that um, that that no one suffers discrimination anymore because I've seen it. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, my grandfather couldn't read or write. And um, I joke that that one of the reasons I didn't go to an Ivy League school aside from my grades, we'll just ignore that part, um, was that, <laughs> that, you know, Ivy League schools, they don't give scholarships to rednecks. So um, everyone has a burden and everyone has some sort of victimhood that we can claim. Um, you know, I, 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 I could claim, you know, being discriminated against by the patriarchy, but that's not going to to help me or my kids if we use those as an excuse. So I think you're right. We have to acknowledge the, the, the problems that our kids are facing, especially, you know, I'm, I'm working now with, with some schools on, on uh, trauma informed work with, with um, accommodating kids with, with anxiety or depression or, or trauma triggers, and you have to acknowledge it. You have to give some level of accommodation, but the point of of the accommodation needs to be to move the kids forward. If all we're doing is taking care of our kids' feelings or making life easier on ourselves by backing off and not challenging them or um, just saying the words of we understand and, you know, it makes us feel good to be understanding, but we still have to say to our kids, you can move forward. Here's how you move forward. And don't, don't get stuck in the bad things that have happened to you or the bad things that are going to happen to you. You know, like yeah, you said, true. the, the world is, um, it, People are nice, but the world is not nice. <laughs> so well, that's the people in the world too. <laughs> well, so. you know, individual. I, I've never understood how so many in the foster care system, for example, how so many well-meaning people can create a. I, I call it the alchemy of bureaucracy. They create a system that is slow and sluggish and cruel and lets kids drop through. But every individual person means well and is trying hard. It's just something about getting people together in groups and creating organizations that um, creates a lot of problems and injustice. Yeah. And uh, I, 
I, I don't have a good solution um, except to know that it happens and to help and that it will happen. Uh, mm. Every every society, every solution, every proposed political system has always had this problem, and some more so than others. And um, all you can do with with the the kids that we're we're dealing with to keep bringing it back is to equip them with the skills to keep moving forward when bad yeah. things happen. So, with that being said, you know um, the concept of, of equipping our our children and especially. Uh, those who may even be thinking about, you know, what, what how, how do I deal with taking care of of foster children, or or what if I find myself in a in a blended family, or what if um, I I have this desire to maybe not adopt, right? Because that's a whole different situation. Yes. Um, but there and there's different types of fostering, right? There's a there's a fostering where you foster kids. It might be for like a um, days or weeks at a time, and then you also have extended foster care. Is that correct? Yes, um, I actually started um, as an emergency foster. Emergency, placement. that's right. Yeah, and which was um, I just kept the kids while the caseworker was finding a, a long term placement for them. Then mm-hmm. um, I moved into working. I started working with a private agency, and I worked with them as a respite care parent, which was the the child stayed in their long term placement, but they came to me on weekends. Or if the foster parents had to travel for work, um, that was one of my um, issues as a, as a single foster parent. And I had a job that required me to handle trials out of town for a week at a time. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that I was able to move into long-term care was because this agency had a respite um, place that, that my girls could go stay. And as, as a, when I was a respite parent, um, it, it gave the child a, a stable place to come visit on a regular basis. It provided structure and it met a need with the, uh, the with the long-term family. So though there's, and, and then after the emergency and the respite care, then there's long-term care. And then um, part of that long-term care, it can, it, it's either uh, foster care or foster care to adopt. There, there's a big push to give kids a permanent family. So most foster care either has a reunification plan for kids to get back home to their biological family or to move towards um, terminating parental rights and and moving for adoption so that the children have a a safe, permanent family. Um, So any of those is a good place for people to to start (laughs) and and to, um, to, to drop in. Uh, to the system and um, to to try it on for size, um, if if you want to. I, whenever people are looking at getting into to foster parenting, I always encourage them to see if the agency they work with can um, has the ability to let them, you know, stick their toe in the water and do emergency care or respite care and sort of figure out what's going on and and develop the skills that they need. And honestly, you don't know what you're getting into until you get into it. <laughs> so very fair point. Very fair point. But yeah, my wife and I we we thought about doing emergency care, foster caring, and and it was something that really came to our minds. We were almost ready to move forward with it, but then 
we found out that we have a child on the way and <laughs> you can't have children uh, under the age of one when you do uh, emergency foster caring. Uh, that's one of the that's one of the requirements um, in our, in the in the province of Alberta, at least. Uh-huh. Um, so so it's it's been on our minds and I think it's something that we may we may jump into and try out, you know, to see if this is something for us, you know, as well. Uh, so what do you say to, to me or <laughs> even, yeah, or to, right. to someone else who's, who's looking to, to, to get their feet wet with, with this and may even go into more long-term foster caring as well. Well, the, we've already talked about the uh, dipping your toe in with, yeah. The, respite care, emergency care. And the other thing I would, I would tell you to look at since, um, since you can't do respite care right now mm-hmm. is to um, find some, a, a current foster family and mm. um, shadow them, work mm-hmm. with them, provide support for them. Uh, think of it as, as an internship and becoming part of their safety net. Mm. And that is a, a good way to learn, um, again, assuming that your jurisdiction allows this. Sure. That's a good way to see up close what the um, challenges are and, and how they deal with them and, and the, the, what the system gives and doesn't and what you need a safety net for from your church or your family or your community. And again, that that is a good way to see it up close without having the primary responsibility for taking care of it. You can become part of the support system and watch what the challenges are and how they meet them and what resources are available so that you know what resources you need to gather from from other places. Yeah. So, okay, that's actually really good to know because that gives you a look and a perspective into how that life is. And you are not going in blindly. At least you get to see the, the effects you get to hear personal examples as well. So, okay. I like, I like that as I like that a lot. And that's actually something I'll probably will do as well to make sure that we, we don't go in too blind. Right. (laughs) Right. And, and it gives you a, a way to make a difference also because sure. families, we, we we aren't good at asking for help and we aren't mm. good at admitting that, that our resources are running thin. Mm-hmm. But there's always something that um, someone could help us do if yeah. they asked us enough times, <laughs> ask us <laughs> fair, at the right times. <laughs> fair point, fair point. Let, let me ask this question. When it comes to the aspect of impacting young children, uh, especially in today's society, you've worked with a lot of young kids, you've advocated for kids, you've raised children that are not even your own, you know, so what what do we need to be looking for in, in this regard? What is it that we need to be focusing on when it comes to helping the next generation to to guide them through the next these these new years or to to be the right figures that they're able to see and and to say hey you know what this is something that i would also i could see myself as or or 
as an example um, for for impact in this world? What what do we need to do to make sure that our next generations are going to be set up for life? Well, there are there are things both individually and as a society. And my, my number one suggestion is is um, again to be a bit countercultural, which I, I tend to be. Um, I think we need to quit giving adults so much leeway to screw up their lives. We um, give adults permission to do all sorts of things. And we tell ourselves, oh, kids are resilient. They'll be okay. And they're not okay. Children of divorce have a lot of problems. And yet, because we're in difficult marriages or we we want to have relationships that that we're free to get out of, they the, the, the social science is undisputable that it causes a lot of problems for our kids. But we don't want to give up our freedom to um, to live our lives the way we want to. Mm. So we we give ourselves um, as adults, I think way too much permission to experiment to to do all sorts of things that that social science says are not good, but we always think we can beat the odds and and, and we can do better. Now, understand, I will never um, judge anyone who who leaves a relationship because I don't know whether it's a bad relationship and and I would never advocate that someone stay in an unsafe relationship um, or or one that was emotionally abusive or or was toxic. But you know again, 80% of the population is is just fine and doing well enough. And and um, and it isn't they're not dangerous. They're not toxic. They're just maybe not wonderful. Um, so I, I think that we really need to take a hard look at what we individually and as a culture can do to um, keep from traumatizing kids in the first place. Mm. And um, the biggest, again, looking at the mental health studies and the social science studies, the biggest protection for kids from abuse, from uh, trauma, from any sort of other, any of these societal problems is an intact biological family. And once the family is disrupted, it just um, leaves a lot of holes that uh, a lot of trauma can can it, it sneaks through and, and affects the kids. So um, that that would be one thing that I think we we as adults need to start acting like adults and and, and worry about the impact of our actions on our kids. Um, can I, yeah, just, can I just I just I just have to say I mean that's that's taking true accountability. Yes. And and I and I don't know how many of us are always willing to realize that our actions have dire consequences. Yes. Um, as well as our actions also have very positive, impactful consequences as well. Right. And but the more so, it, it's it's just hard to say. Well, my kid is this way because I did this. Oh, there's never any cause or or effect. This is the other thing. When I talk in my book about things you can do to to 
to help your relationship with your kids. Um, I, there, it's not a recipe. It's not a chemical formula. And, and even having an intact biological family, it, it's not a you can do this and you get this result. Exactly. All you're doing is increasing the odds or decreasing the odds. People have agency. Even children have agency. And, um, you know, my husband and I have, have two kids who have rejected everything that we've tried and, and they're estranged from us right now. And it, it's a source of, of deep pain. But, um, you know, all we can do is love them and, and hope that they're happy. And the, the solution lies outside of us. And, and kids make their decisions. And um, so I, I would never say that, that a child is having these problems because the parents were divorced. I would never say that divorce was a selfish thing for parents to do, and it's going to have this reaction on kids. We're dealing with human beings, and it's, it's always messy. E- even good families are messy. Absolutely. You know, so it, 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 all we're talking about is um, increasing the odds here and there. Yeah. And um, resilience is a huge factor. I've, I've, done, I've been doing a lot of research on resiliency. Even children who suffer terrible trauma um, because of, of whatever, we can, as adults, come in and there are certain things that, that we can do to, um, to help repair the damage and, and help them be resilient. And um, again, it, it's not a cause effect, but it lowers their risk. Right. And, and, and I think that with that, it's just a matter of of realizing, well, number one, nobody, nobody's perfect uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, but I'm willing to to say, like, for instance, if I do something wrong with my child, I'm willing to say, you know what, man, I messed up. I, I, oh, yeah. I did this wrong X, Y and Z and I'm going to do better. Uh, I, I know a lot of parents have a hard time apologizing to their kids, you know, like the, right. <laughs> there's, 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 oh, a, there's, there's always this, this, uh, this pull or this push of, of wanting to um, claim dominance or to have a certain level of hierarchy. But uh, ultimately, you know, if I apologize, if I want to just that, that also strengthens my child to know that there's emotional strength that there's emotional um and and mental capabilities that i'm able to have with them to know that we can have certain conversations we can mess up and still apologize we can get up and 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 be humble and and right. have a, a sense of strength and how we move forward in this world and so uh i i like what you what you're saying with, with regards to to the intact family um definitely studies have shown this to be true that there's a lot less uh, factors of of trauma, um, and and like you said, it's not it's not fail proof, but right. there's, there's ways to to make things a lot easier or to move better in that regard. Uh, and then also, parents just have to we have to be more accountable with how we move forward with our children. And I think yeah, I think those are those are yeah, those are, those are serious steps to to take um, and to look into every day that we we move forward. Cause like I said, I know too many parents that they also say I've done everything right. I, I, oh, I, right. I, 
I did this. I, I showed my child and they chose to, to go the wrong way. And then I'm just like, you know what? Maybe you didn't do everything right. Also, you know, and then there are right. cases as well that you did do the right things and they did choose to to move forward. But we as the outside in, we can never say, oh, you're absolutely correct. because we, we 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 didn't spend 18 years to, to right. see the whole situation. We didn't. Right. Right. We weren't a fly on the wall watching you and how you interact with your child every single second of the day. And so only God knows at the end of the day, right. Right. only you and God. So I, I, I definitely think it's something important to look into and, and uh, something to keep in our minds as well. And, and I think that I was going to say, when you're talking about apologizing to your kids or, or admitting mistakes, we have to model behavior for our kids that we want them to adopt. And the fact is they are going to make mistakes. We are going to make mistakes. Bad things are going to happen to them and to us. And we, um, our, our words, you know, they, they, they kind of kids will sort of listen to them, but most of the time, um, what they hear is is you know that sound of the adults in Charlie Brown's cartoon. So what they um, what they respond to is what they see us doing, and um, what they the way we live our lives becomes their normal, and that's how they judge everything else, and they judge their future lives and. Again, that's why I go back to the importance of, of in, intact relationships is because, you know, my my foster daughters, because I was single, they, they never saw a working relationship or marriage from the inside. They may have known people who managed to stay married, but they didn't know them well, and they didn't see it from the inside and living in the household. My, my husband and I, his three oldest kids were already out of the house by the time we married. And his two younger kids, they're the only ones who have ever seen a functioning marriage. Um, again, from the inside. Now, our, our adult kids have, have watched us and, and they have more of a window than, say, a stranger would. But there's something very important for kids of saying, okay, I know how to handle the situation because I watched my mom and dad handle this situation. And um, that, that becomes their normal. And if their normal is not functional, then it just takes a lot of therapy and a lot of mistakes and a lot of experience yep. um, to, to get to a functioning place if they ever can. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's huge. That's huge. Um, and, and I, I guess what I want to end off this episode in, in this way, um, what, what do you want to give to our, to our listeners, especially those who, uh, cause, cause some people may say that this is just an episode for those who are looking into, into parenting or into foster caring. But I also think that there's enough to take from this, uh, from us as a society on how to deal with our youth and, and young children coming up into the world as well. So what do you want to leave with us as listeners uh, wanting to, to move forward in, in this, in this right way, dealing with fostering as well, but also dealing with the youth in our society? Oh, I, I would, I would say to, to uh, single parents, potential foster parents, to, to step parents, 
that um, that, that raising other people's kids is, is it's the most challenging thing I've ever done, mm. but it is hands down the most rewarding thing that I have ever done. And that if an impatient, empathy-challenged, left-brained lawyer can develop a good relationship with traumatized kids, then then anyone can. Yeah. And it, it it's not perfect. Again, it, it's not a chemical formula, but but it it can be done. Mm. To other people um, who, who don't have the resources or the time or, or the inclination to take on that heavy lift, I would say um, kids need adults in their lives other than their parents. They need mentors. They need yes. people who care about them. Yes. Um, foster parents and single parents need a safety net. And um, you can become part of that safety net in a lot of of different ways. And just, um, I, I, w- I would just say there are a lot of ways to help mentor kids, to help parents, uh, to help intact families stay together, mm-hmm. to um, help um, support in a lot of different ways. So find good charities, find um, people that outlets for this and um, just find ways to help the next generation because um, they're the ones that, that we need to teach how to run this world. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time that you, yeah, honestly, it's um, I learned a lot myself. Uh, and I also, like I said, because there's some some ways that I may be moving with regards to fostering, I uh, definitely took in a lot of lessons. I'm definitely looking forward to, t- to to checking out your book as well. Can you also let us know where we can find you through social media, where we can um, buy your book, everything of the sort? We want to learn more as well. Okay. Well, probably the easiest um, uh, place to find me is going to be raisingotherpeopleschildren.com. That's the website that's dedicated to my book. And there are links there to all of my other sites and my social media. Um, the, the other place um, is debbieosborn.com. And um, the reason that's secondary is because we spell our name funny. So you'll have to have put it in the show notes. It's A-U-S-B-U-R-N is how I spell my last name. Awesome. So um, it, 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 it may be easier for people to just find raising other people's children.com. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time with us today, Debbie, and definitely looking forward to learning more and connecting and seeing how we can continue to help our children and our youth in the society. And for all those who are looking into fostering, continue to, to check out Debbie Osborne. And, and buy her book and to see if, if, to see how you can effectively bring change and impact into a young child's life. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Madcasters with your host, Brian St. Louis. Please remember, do what you are called to bring into this world. Someone's life depends on your willingness to obey your calling you are special and you have something positive to bring to this world that no one else can 
Every Thursday at 5 a.m. Eastern Time, a new episode will be ready for you to listen and grow from. Be sure to subscribe to Madcasters on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Instagram at Madcasters. Support the podcast through patreon.com backslash Madcasters because together we can make the difference in order to change the world.